Psalm 45 is about the weddings of the kings of ancient Israel. And this morning we want to consider our King, the Lord Jesus, and the King's work of reconciliation from Colossians chapter 1. So we'll invite you to turn in your Bibles to Colossians chapter 1, and we'll be reading verses 15 through 23. Let's give our attention to God's Word this morning. The Apostle Paul writes, He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by Him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through Him and for Him. And He is before all things. And in Him all things hold together. And He is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything He might be preeminent. For in Him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through Him to reconcile to Himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of His cross. And you who were once alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, He is now reconciled in His body of flesh by His death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before Him. If indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the Gospel that you have heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, and of which I, Paul, became a minister. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. My dear congregation, there may not be a more beautiful picture of the majesty of our King than what is recorded in Colossians chapter 1. In just a few short verses, the Apostle Paul uh, poetically and quite beautifully describes Jesus' cosmic reign over all of the creation and His divine authority over the church and His sacrificial death upon the cross. For generations, Christians have recognized that the verses 15 through 20 are written in sort of a hymnic way, a lyrical fashion, if you will. And so many people have classified these words in 15 through 20 as what they call the Christ hymn. They believe that this was an early hymn that the church would have sung about Jesus Christ. Here the Apostle Paul bestows upon Christ the greatest of names. He says of Christ, Christ is the firstborn. Christ is the head. Christ is the beginning. Christ is preeminent. You see, here in Colossians 1, we see something that agrees with the other writings of the Apostle Paul. That Christ ought to be highly exalted. In human words, don't we know, fail to exalt His beauty and describe His glory. But a song can touch our hearts, can't it? 
And this Christ hymn shows us what they believed about Jesus in the early church. Imagine those ancient believers singing these words. He is the image of the invisible God. All things created through and for Him. He is the fullness of God. He is the firstborn from the dead. And Paul, reciting this hymn, agrees with that hymn. It's almost as if he's saying, Amen! Christ is all those things. But look in verse 21 with me, if you will. It's like he adds one more thing to them. And you. Verse 22 then, He has reconciled. Yes, Christ is the Lord of creation. That's what verses 15 and 17 say. Yes, He is the head of the church, the new creation. Verses 18, but He is also the restorer of all things. He reconciles His church and His creation to Himself. Brothers and sisters, that's what we need to see in our time together this morning. That through King Jesus, God has reconciled the church and His creation to Himself. We want to see that in three motions this morning. Jesus is Lord of creation. Verses 15-17. through Jesus is Head of the church. Verse 18. And Jesus is the restorer of all things in verses 19-20. through Look at those first three verses, if you will, with me. Verses 15-17. through Jesus is Lord of creation. Abraham Kuyper noted, whenever the apostles want to give us a proper perspective about Christ's kingly rule, they always go back to the creation of all things. Close quote. And here we see the Apostle Paul is going back to creation. To to elaborate on the glory of Christ, he goes all the way back to the beginning of time and says that it is King Jesus who rules over all creation. Recently, the United Kingdom of Britain, for the first time in 70 years, has a king. I've never heard Americans speak so much about a crown. And King Charles will receive by virtue of his birth the whole estate of the British monarchy which is evaluated in the tens of billions of dollars. Uh, But what right does Christ be king over all creation? What makes Him king? Well, the Apostle Paul in verse 15 says there are, he gives two examples which both speak to Christ's authority. He is the image of the invisible God and He is the firstborn of all creation. That word image from the Greek word ekon, which sounds very similar and is the derivative of our English word for icon. This doesn't mean that Christ is a replica, but He is an image much like, as we have the alarm bells going off in our minds, we know that every human being is made in the image of God. Genesis 1.27 
And when man was made in the image of God, when Adam was made in the image of God, he was also given dominion over the entirety of the earth and the created realm. In other words, Adam was given authority over this world and all of its creatures. But this doesn't tell the whole story of what it means to be the image. But we also know that in the ancient world, a a great subject for Greek and Jewish philosophers was how can God be known? A common answer from the Greek philosophers, the Jewish philosophers, was He can be known by His image. But what does image mean? For some, when they said image, they meant you can know God if you study the universe. Others say you can know God if you know goodness. Others said you can know God if you have wisdom. The Apostle Paul is very clear here. Do not look to wisdom. Do not look to this creation. Do not look to the goodness of virtues and attributes in man. God can be known in this way if we look to His Son who has authority over all. That is, that Christ is the authority over all things as the revelation of God. Jesus said this Himself in John chapter 1. He says, no one has ever seen God. The only God who is at the Father's side. But Jesus has made Him known. This would have been a profound statement. If you have a Bible, flip to Colossians 2, verse 18. We see that there was this insistence on asceticism and the worship of angels going in detail about visions puffed up without reason by the sensuous mind. We see that the Colossians were tempted to look to other things to know God. Here the Apostle Paul is saying, you need to look to the authority. You need to look to Jesus Christ. But that's not all he says. He says, second, Christ is the firstborn of all creation. This is the second term that highlights Christ's authority. And let us be clear this morning. By saying firstborn, Paul is not saying that Christ is actually born of God as if He is a created being. Or as some even in our day would say that He is the first created being. But he is saying again that Christ has authority. He is the authority of a firstborn son in the ancient world. You remember in Psalm 89, verse 27, it says that David is the firstborn son. But for those of you who know your Bible history, was David the firstborn of Jesse? No, it says that he is the youngest of seven sons. Israel, likewise, in Exodus chapter 4, is called the firstborn of all generations. But was Israel the first nation? Or the first people who existed? In Exodus chapter 4, verse 22? The answer, of course, is no. What the Apostle Paul is saying, by saying Christ is the image 
and the firstborn, as he's saying, he is the heir of all creation, the Lord of all creation, and he inherits by virtue of his sonship all the power and the authority of his heavenly Father over creation. So he is Lord of creation. But look what the Apostle Paul says, continuing on in Colossians chapter 1 Christ is not only the, uh, the, excuse me, he's not only the authority over his creation, but he is also the one who created, he is the agent of creation. Christ, uh, as again Abraham Kuyper says, he says Christ is the master builder. He is the supreme artist. And everything was created according to His plan. And if you look at Colossians chapter 1 in our Scripture reading today, uh, dear congregation, what does it say that Christ created? It says He created all Things Over and over again, the Apostle uses that word. All things. All things. All things. So what does Christ reign over? All things. Whether it is in heaven, says the Apostle Paul, or whether it is on earth, whether it is visible, or whether it is invisible, the point that he is making here is not giving you a list of everything Christ is creating. He's actually using a Hebraism. He's saying everything that exists between heaven and earth. Everything that exists between what is invisible and invisible, Christ created it all. Through Him, God created everything. There is nothing that you can imagine that Christ is not the agent of. Dear Christian, isn't this to be a comfort for us? Christ is intimately aware and intimately acquainted with every single thing we can experience in this life. Whether it is the highest of the angelic beings, or it is the lowest of earthly beings, Christ created and cares for each and every one of them. There is nothing that takes place on this earth apart from His will. There is no wrong that He cannot right. There is no evil that He cannot turn for good. All of creation marches towards its fulfillment in Jesus Christ. So if creation, as the Apostle Paul says, is by Him, through Him, and for Him, that means the origin of creation is Christ. He is also the one who upholds it and sustains it. But look what the Apostle Paul says. He goes on and he says, but creation is also, its, or excuse me, Christ is also creation's aim. That's what it's moving towards. It's fulfillment in Jesus Christ. See, that's what the Apostle Paul says. All things were created through Him. He is the agent, but all things are for Him. 
allow me to be absolutely clear this this morning. This whole universe, everything that exists within this world has been made by Christ for Christ. So let's get this straight. In this ancient hymn, the New Testament believers worship Jesus Christ because all things in heaven and earth were created in, through, and for Christ. The Apostle Paul also says this in uh, Romans 11. I believe it's verse 26. All things are through Him, for Him, and in all things. And even now, He holds up all creation. Verses 16 and 17. He is before all things, and in Him all things hold together. You know, as Christians, sometimes as we experience this world, it leads us to nothing but confusion. This world seems nothing to be but chaos. We can pick up the newspaper, watch the news, listen to a podcast, and it seems like all we hear about is the wars, the burglary, right? The murder, the rape, the racial clashes. But the Christian is not to be hopeless, are we? We are to be a people who know that in the future all will be harmony because this creation's aim is Jesus Christ. Remember what the prophet said in Isaiah 11 when he's speaking to the future. What does he say? The wolf shall dwell with the lamb. The leopard shall lie down with the young goat, the calf with the lion, and the fatted calf together. A child shall lead them, the cow And the bear shall graze, the young shall lie lie down, the nursing child shall play in the hole of the cobra. What is it speaking about? It's saying that creation marches onward to fulfillment. That chaos will rule no longer. But when it finally meets its consummation, its final moment in Christ, all things will be made right. And remember, dear congregation, here the Apostle Paul is quoting that ancient Christ hymn. This is in the context of worship. And as we endure the chaos and the trials and the the weariness of life, as we worship Christ for His creating work, for His soon coming redeeming work, notice this. There's no room for hopelessness, is there? So when we listen to those podcasts, and we hear the news, and we read the paper, and that everything seems terrible in this world, the antidote for hopelessness is to worship Jesus Christ. Worship puts Christ at the center of our vision. And when Christ is what our eyes are focused on, the trials of this world are met and they find their resolution in Him. So the the Apostle Paul, of course, endorses worship here. Worship Christ. But he also reminds us that Christ has done a redeeming work. Verse 18, 
course, a famous passage, and he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead. Having presented Christ as the Lord of creation, the Apostle Paul now uh, elaborates and describes another aspect of Jesus' kingship. That is his spiritual kingship over his church. So the Apostle Paul bestows upon Christ a title fitting not only his work of creation, but a title of him being the Savior. He calls him the head. Now, if you're an astute theologian, like I am, that's a joke, come on, you'll notice that there is a shift in what's being spoken about in verses 17 through 18. That we go from worshiping Christ as the the creator of this good creation, now we're talking about recreation. We're talking about the church. There's something missing in between these verses And what's reflected here is the reality of sin. The reason there needs to be a church, the reason there needs to be a recreation and a head of the church is because of sin. That the original creation was corrupted by sin. And sin has made the world an object of God's wrath. But as we know, we've reflected on these things before. Christ is not just a creating God who sets the world in motion and lets things play out as they will, but He's also the redeeming God. The God who will save His church. And so Christ gives Him that name, that title, that He is the head of the church. Of course, it goes without saying that the head is the most important part of the body. We know from our experience that from the head comes the body's sight, comes our hearing, comes our thought process, comes our intelligence, our direction. If you don't have a head, you don't have a life. Nothing but a lifeless corpse. In the same way, the church, without Christ, does not have life. The church, without Christ, is a lifeless corpse. And we know this because Jesus is the source of the church. And what I mean by that is that you need your head to grow. I've said this here before, but in the head there exists what we call the pituitary gland, which from it comes our growth hormones, which, simply put, I'm no MD, but causes the body to grow. And the church can only grow if Christ is our head. Apostle Paul elaborates on this. Again, if you have a Bible, flip to chapter 2, verse 19. He says, "...and not holding fast to the head from which the whole body is nourished and knit together through its joints and ligaments and, listen to this, grows with a growth that is from God." Apostle Paul is very clear here that it's God through the head, who causes the church to grow. And so, if we want our churches to grow, we want them to grow in maturity, we want them to grow in holiness, we want them to grow in size, we want to fill our empty pews, we must grow in Christ. And focus on being a part of the body of Christ. 
He is the source of the church. But notice He's also the sovereign because we also know that in our lives, our heads are the, it contains the organs and the special faculties which guide our bodies. In the head, the organs of special sense are mainly located. The brain receives impulses from the outside world and then organizes them within the body and reacts. It is the guider. It is the director of the individual. In the brain is located what we call the cerebellum, which has been uh, called the coordinator and the harmonizer of muscular action. The medulla Uh, controls actions like coughing, winking, chewing, swallowing. And your brain is the cardiac center which regulates your heartbeat. The respiratory center which controls your breathing. When the triune God made us with an organic head, a living head, He gave a great illustration of our spiritual head, the Lord Jesus Christ. What this means, John Calvin says, is that Christ alone has the authority to govern this church. He alone should direct this body. He alone should guide this congregation. And so therefore, every Christian must look to Christ. Not only as the source of our life, but also as our leader and as our guide. But notice, the Apostle Paul goes on, and he says, at the beginning of this hymn, he calls Christ the firstborn of creation, But notice in verse 18, he now refers to Christ as the firstborn from the dead. By using those words beginning and firstborn, the Apostle Paul now is not referring to creation, but he is referring to Christ's resurrection. That he is the first to rise from the dead. So what does it mean that Christ has risen first. The firstborn from the dead. You see, it is the testimony of the Scriptures that Christ lived a perfect life. But even though He was perfect, He was condemned to die. And He was crucified on the cross. He died there upon that cross. He was forsaken by God. But it is the testimony of the Word of God, dear congregation, that your Savior is not dead. Your Savior is alive. Your Savior, your Lord, your King and Head is alive and reigns forevermore at the right hand of God. So to be the firstborn from the dead is to be the first to rise. But Jesus will not be the last to rise, will He? We experience that first resurrection now in this life by regeneration. But the Bible also teaches that there will be a real bodily resurrection from the dead for all those in Jesus Christ. So by saying beginning in firstborn, The Apostle Paul is saying Christ has gone before us as our forerunner, but we are following Him. And because He has been raised, we know that we too shall be raised.
One thing that's so astounding about verse 18 is the humility of Christ. That He is the Creator, the One with all authority, but that He would be willing to die for sinners such as us. What humility. What humiliation He must have endured. And the Colossian Christians would have suffered humiliation as well. As will we suffer humiliation in this life for our faith in Christ. Maybe for some of you in the university classroom, you will be mocked and scorned for your faith. For some of you, even family life becomes militant with parents who are opposed to the work of Christ in your heart. Here the Apostle Paul strikes a note of comfort. If you are humiliated with Christ, you can be assured that you will also be exalted and glorified with Christ because of His resurrection from the dead. Well, we must go on, and we turn now to the last few verses here in verses 19 through 23, and we need to see that Jesus is the restorer of all things. Uh, As we uh, march closer towards snow and the leaves are falling, uh, to which some of you cringe, of course, Uh, but uh, we all do look forward uh, to Christmas. And one of my favorite Christmas hymns, as you can tell from the bulletin this morning, is Joy to the World. What gives the Christian joy is that our Lord has come. Joy to the world, the Lord is come. Joy to the world, the Savior reigns. This is our joy. But the best part of Joy to the World, I think it's stanza three. Allow me to read it to you this morning. No more let sin and sorrow grow, nor thorns infest the ground. He comes to make His blessings flow as far as the curse is found. As far as the curse is found. Far as? As far as the curse is found. I think Isaac Watts and the Apostle Paul are of the same mind here. That Christ will redeem all things as far as the curse is found. That is, that His grace is powerful enough to restore all things. So allow me to be absolutely clear. In Christ, God will redeem this entire universe. Do we think about redemption in that way? That God in Christ is powerful enough to redeem, as the Apostle Paul says, all things. Look at verse 19. The Apostle Paul says, this is why Christ came. He speaks of the incarnation. For in Him the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. Speaking of Christ coming as a little infant, why did He come? Through Him to reconcile to Himself all things. That is by the shed blood of Emmanuel, the God-man, Christ is able 
to reconcile the whole world as far as the curse is found. Things, whether they are on earth or in heaven, He has made peace by the blood of His cross. You see, some people take it that Christ comes to earth and He saves us from creation as if it's a sinking ship. Or it's a burning building and we're saved, but the rest of this world and this universe is destroyed. But is that what God has said to us in the Word? No. In verse 20, I think the Apostle Paul is quite clear. Christ in His cross takes care of all sin. He removes the whole curse. There is no more sorrow, no more curse, no more, thro- no more thorns. This is the fruit of the cross. To put it in a more pastoral way, Satan does not win at all. Sin is atoned for. Death claims no more. There is no evil that will not be destroyed. There is no sin that will not be atoned for. There is no person who death will claim. In Jesus Christ, all things are made new. And the whole creation one day will stand before Christ without spot or wrinkle in God's presence as the work of Christ. So this whole universe needs to be redeemed. But look at what the Apostle Paul says in verse 21. He focuses on the individual. And you. Notice two important words here in verse 21. Once and now. We too had once been party to sins. We had once been alienated. Once been hostile to God. But now, if you are in Christ, you have been reconciled to the Father. According to the Apostle Paul in verse 22, Christ gave His body. Verse 20, Christ shed His blood. And He did it to satisfy God's wrath for our sins. He did it to purchase our forgiveness. That He might reconcile not only this world as far as the curse is found, but that He might reconcile all of His church to God the Father. Some in church history have looked at Colossians uh, chapter 1, verse 20 and said, see, nobody goes to hell. One ancient uh, theologian said, God will even redeem Satan and his demons. Is that what the Apostle Paul is saying here? That's why verse 23 is so important. Continue in the faith. Continue in the faith. When the Apostle Paul says all things, he's referring to creation, heaven, and the universe that they find their unity and joy in Him. But if you do not continue in the faith, the Scriptures say, we will join the demons and the wicked in hell. 
But take heart. Today is the day of salvation. We have heard from the lips of the Apostle Paul, Christ has opened a way of salvation. If He can redeem by His blood a whole sin-cursed universe, surely He can redeem you as well. Come. Come to Jesus Christ. Do not wait a moment longer. Believe upon this man. Receive His work of reconciliation by faith. You too can be part of this King's new creation even this day and forevermore. See, this is my concluding word this morning. There is no sin so deeply rooted. There is no sinner so vile. There's no part of creation too far gone that Christ cannot redeem by His blood. He is the Lord. The Creator of all things. God Himself who laid down His life as the head of the church that He might reconcile all of creation and His people through His blood. This is why we worship, isn't it, congregation? Our King Jesus has done a mighty work of reconciliation. Come, come, and worship this King. Amen. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, it is our joy this morning that Christ has come. We thank You for His work of reconciliation. How He has been moved according to a heart inflamed with love for people so miserable, people so sin-laden and heavy burdened. But He has been merciful towards us and He has shed His blood for our sake. Thank You, Heavenly Father, for His wonderful work of reconciliation. And we pray, Lord, that You would touch our hearts with it. Help us, Lord, to be a people who rejoice in this and this alone. We pray this all in Christ's name. Amen.